0: We're in a series called To the Table. All right. And in this series, we've been talking about conversations that Jesus had over a meal. Made the statement several times that Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. And we're going to continue that theme today as we're going to talk about how Jesus solves the problem at a big fish fry. All right. And uh, how many of you guys have ever been to a fish fry? Okay. It's nothing like what we're going to talk about today. It's really not a fry, it's just about fish. Okay. Um, Now, several of you. uh, Or, like, hey, I'd like to get connected more to people. On your Connect card on the back side, there's a thing, there's a a space that says to your table invitation. Several of our leaders, myself included, are opening our table for dinner on one of the nights of the week. And so, if you will check that and let us know what night you are open to have dinner, uh, somebody will reach out to you and you'll get invited. And it's just a free meal and free conversation. And so it's a fun, uh, safe way. If you're looking for a hardcore devotion and to be baptized in their bathtub, that's probably not going to happen. Okay, But if you're looking just to talk to some people and get to know someone, it's a great opportunity. We're going to start in Mark chapter 6. Now, this story that we're going to share with you this morning, um, it's one of the few stories that makes it into all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each account of the gospel has this story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. We're going to start in Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6 too. Now what I've done is uh, each writer has a different perspective. And so I have meshed the perspectives together so that we have kind of a fuller account of what went on, all right? And so that's why there's two references there this morning. Let's read this. As Jesus came ashore, he saw the large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick, so he taught them many things. I wanted to start here this morning on this intro because some of you are here and you're like, Matt, do you really believe that Jesus fed 5,000 people? I do really believe that. But I kind of am still in that old school mindset that I, I have an absolute truth. Not everybody in this room is there. I get that. Okay. And so there are some skeptics maybe, or maybe I put it like this. Some of you are cautious observers. Or cautious believers, like some of you are here, and you 're just checking out the things of of, of of christ you're curious about who this Jesus is, others of you you believe in the person of Jesus, but man do you really because like we don't we can't go to a museum and see the twelve baskets of leftovers that were performed that day, like other than the text itself, there is no proof that it happened other than other than the story, and so i don't I don't uh, know where you come into the room this morning. But I did want to make some four observations from this intro, maybe specifically to the cautious observer or the cautious believer. Number one is this: Jesus had compassion on the crowd, not judgment. First of all, Jesus has compassion. He gets out of the boat, a lot of people there. He has compassion on them, not judgment, and it's the crowd. If you were to read the Gospels, what you would discover is that there's two groups mentioned all the time: disciples and the crowd. Here's the difference. The crowd would hear Jesus' teachings and then go home basically unchanged, interested but unchanged, where the follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, would hear the same teaching and then approach Jesus afterwards and say, what did you mean by that? I really didn't quite catch that, right? And so here's how Jesus, how we define the crowd in the scriptures. The crowd in the Bible were those who were not yet followers. And that's okay if you're here today, you're welcome if you're in the room and you're a person who might be identified as crowd. You're not yet following Jesus. It is my hope that we accomplish what we sang about this morning, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. That you would taste and see that the Lord is good. The second observation is the crowd, those who have, are not yet followers, are referred as sheep without a shepherd. In the, in the scriptures, all people uh, under Jesus' care are called sheep, not just the crowd. Right, but I am a sheep, and as a sheep, I've identified Jesus as my shepherd. So I'm a sheep with a shepherd. He is my good shepherd. But if you're here, what's, what's Jesus saying? They're like sheep without a shepherd. The sheep were lacking a leader who protected and cared for them. Like he he was seeing these people, and they didn't have a identified leader. Maybe you do. Here's something I would like for you to consider this morning. Who is your leader? Who is the person, or the thing, or the, uh, the the book that defines your morality? What identifies what is right for you, what is wrong? Is it a local TV show? Is it the new? I mean, like there's there's something uh, that I hope that is more at least consistent that you look to and say, okay, that's going to decide what I like. What how, what is your guide for how friendly you will be? What is your guide for generosity? What is your guide for what you're going to believe, what you're going to say, what you're not going to say? Um, for me, Jesus is my leader. I try to model my life after, after his. The third observation for those who are cautious, when uh, they were there because they were witnessing the miraculous, the thing that you say, there's no way that happened, that's exactly what they said, but they saw it happen. And because they saw something happen that made zero sense, that's why they were following Jesus. These people were not following Jesus because they were spiritual superstars. They were not following Jesus because they were having an enlightenment spiritually. They were following Jesus because they were seeing him do things that they ain't never seen anybody do, and it was blowing their mind. Observation number four, Jesus leveraged that. He didn't condemn, well, you're only here because I'm doing cool stuff. He didn't do that. He leveraged it and taught them many other things. This morning, I don't know why you're here, my friend Roger who comes, he's here at the first service at 845 this morning. Last Sunday, Roger stopped me in the hallway, and he goes, tell me that joke again. And I go, what joke are you talking about, Roger? He goes, you know, that drug joke. And so some of you are here. Here's the joke. Some of you are here because you have a drug problem. Somebody drug you to church this morning. <laughs> Roger <laughs> loves that joke. And so uh, uh, but that's fine if that's how you guide here because she's really pretty and she said, go church me. You said, okay, I'll go, right? Or someone made you, whatever it is. Or maybe you're in a crisis and you thought if you come to church that it would be like, oh and everything's fine. It doesn't matter. Right? You're here. And so we're going to do our best to teach you some things maybe that will impact your life uh, just as Jesus did. So let's jump into the rest of the story. Continuing on. So he's te- going to teach them many things. And then we read, when it was already late, his disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place and it is already very late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said, should we go and buy bread for 200 silver coins and give it to them to eat? Basically, they're saying, uh, yeah, we have like no money. Okay. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, uh, took food from a little boy. Here is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good are these for so many people? Then he directed them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they reclined in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to serve the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up the broken pieces of fish that were left over, twelve basketfuls. Now there were 5,000 men who ate the bread. This story was so miraculous that it made it into all four Gospels. It was so amazing. Like, here's the thing. If this wasn't true... Here's maybe a, maybe a piece of evidence. If this wasn't true, it might not have made it into all four because if 5,000 men, not counting women and children, so it could be north of 10,000 people ate that day off of five loaves and two fish, if 10,000 people ate that day and it wasn't true, somebody's going to say, yeah, I was there and that never happened. But apparently that story never gets stopped over time. Just to maybe a piece that it really did happen. I want to give you eight observations from this story uh, that maybe it will inspire you. Uh, as, we str- as we strive to love our neighbor. Jesus in this story solves a problem. It might surprise you how he chooses to solve it. Number one, the disciples notice a problem. What was the problem? You guys remember from the text we just read? No food. It's getting late. These people are hungry. They've been with us all day long. And uh, so here's my question to you. What's your problem? I don't ask that in a, a defensive way. Like, hey, yo, man, what's your problem? I don't, I'm not like that. I'm asking you, like, what is your problem? Because some of you right now you're frustrated, you're stressed out, but um, you haven't you haven't defined the problem, and so you're making a mountain out of a molehill, maybe, right? You're you're making a big issue out of something that's smaller, and so there's a there's a wise uh, wise uh, thought here is to simply identify what is your problem. Is your problem that you don't have any money? Is your problem that you need a better job? Is your problem that you need uh, uh, some communication uh, practices between you and your spouse? I mean, what is the problem? My problem is blank. It's important to list out your problem. The disciples notice the problem. It's late. These people are hungry. Notice observation number two. The disciples take their problem and solution to who? Jesus. First question that I have for you this morning concerning this. Have you talked to Jesus about your problem or have you talked to everyone else? Have you told the Facebook community your problem but not yet Jesus? Like there is some value in talking to Jesus about your problem, here is a good learning for many of you in the room this morning after you, I, you hear me say this you 're going to be able to check out and actually check your facebook status is that um some of us, if we 're not careful, we spend much of our spiritual life pursuing the teachings of Jesus, the sayings of teach, uh, the sayings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and not the person of Jesus. The thing that I want to point you to. We're learning from something Jesus did today. Absolutely. But it's the person of Jesus who is our salvation, not a set of teachings. A set of teachings didn't die on the cross. A set of teachings didn't resurrect from the grave. It is the person of Jesus. So I'm not asking you, have you plowed through the Bible to find the principle that meets your solution to your problem? No, I'm asking you, have you talked to Jesus about your problem? Now, here is the caveat. If you have, we probably do it just like the disciples did. We talk to Jesus about our problem, and we then tell Jesus what he should do about it, right? Right? Have you told Jesus how to fix your problem? Last week, I I made this statement that um, uh, oftentimes we think that we would be a better Jesus than Jesus actually is, right? Like, if you were Jesus, you would do something completely different than Jesus is currently doing, right? Like, if you were Jesus, you wouldn't have a budget problem. Come on. If you were Jesus, you would be skinnier. I don't know what it is, right? But you just, like... I would be such a better Jesus than Jesus is, man. And so we come to him and we tell him our problem and then we also tell him how to fix it. Pop quiz, do you think Jesus takes our suggestion? (laughs) He typically doesn't, right? Don't we wish he would, right? Sometimes we wish he would, right? Because look at what the disciples do. Are they being irrational? No, these people are hungry, it's late. They're not being crazy, they're not being rude, they're not being mean hey, these people are late. I mean, it's getting late. These people are hungry. Let's send them to the nearest town so they can eat. There's nothing sinful in that. They identified a problem. Hey, Jesus, release them. Pray in your name and let's get them out of here. Right? That seems like the simplest thing to do. However, that's not typically the route Jesus takes. Notice his response, observation number three. Jesus often asks us to do things that make no rational sense. The disciples' request is rational. Send them home. What does Jesus say to them? On the screen it says, you give them something to eat. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Right? Imagine, right? You say this all the time. You go to Jesus with your problem and in your heart, you know the solution. The Bible is full of irrational things. Let me give you some. Prayer. Come on. You mean to tell me if I talk to an invisible God that I've never seen about my issues that somehow that is going to be a part of the solution. Guys, that's completely irrational. What about fasting, right? So the Bible says, that Jesus says some things require much prayer and fasting. So the Lord, you're telling me that with real serious things in my life that I'm needing asking for movement or for you to answer requires much, so I'm going to talk to you more and I'm not going to eat. So now I'm hungry. How has me being hungry got anything to do with this problem being solved? Unless your problem is I want to be skinny, right? How, how does this have anything to do with my problem? What about giving? If your problem is finances and you begin to plow through the scriptures on what Jesus might say about giving, you mean to tell me when I have a money problem that your solution is I give 10% away? You didn't hear my problem. Lord, I don't have any money. And now you're, he asks us to do things that are simply irrational, that they don't make sense. But here's the thing. You already know what God's asking you to do. Like you can keep asking for prayer and you can keep getting some wisdom from your friends, but the Holy Spirit uh, is the communicator for Jesus. He is our great counselor, and He's already telling you what to do. The problem is is that you don't want to do it because it's so odd, or maybe it's so difficult. Like, What if uh, the Holy Spirit's asking you to forgive? Now, it's easy to forgive people that we like, but unfortunately, the Bible doesn't put it into segments. It just says, it actually does. It says, forgive those who hate you, forgive those who curse you. It's easy to forgive me. Everybody loves me. I know you love me, right? It's easy to forgive Matt when I say something silly. But what about people who you don't like? Well, yeah, those too. Or what about going and asking forgiveness because you know you've offended? That's, no, there's got to be, and you know in your heart, but you don't want to do it because if I do, it's just, it's awkward, And it makes no rational sense. Jesus is full of asking you to do things that don't make rational sense. You give them something to eat. You solve the problem. You Go ahead. You begin to work out how you're going to, what are you going to do, right? The disciples' response is just like our response. It's always some form of, I can't. You've got to be kidding me. There ain't no way. Right? You say this. I'm tired, Lord. I'm so wore out. That's why I gave you my Sabbath. But you don't understand, I'm working so much because I'm trying to get caught up And your solution, your irrational solution is for me to take a day off. Yeah. I'm broke. Give more. Oh, Lord, you don't make any sense. God, I really want you to answer this prayer. Go hungry. What? And what do we say when we hear those? You've got to be kidding me. I can't do that. Like, I can't have that conversation. I can't take that step. It makes no sense. Why don't you just send the people home? You feed them. God, and then remember they say, well, we got, two, we got 200 silver coins. Like, we can't feed this many people with this aluminum amount of money. We can't, we can't do that. It makes no sense. Here's what I love. I, I wanted to include this uh, scripture out of Revelations chapter 3 because um, everybody in this room, we are all problem solvers. We live in a culture and in a an day where, in a, in a, in a time where um, there's very few problems that you face that taking a loan, swapping the credit card, writing a check, giving cash doesn't solve that problem. Right? Like, for example, when my AC breaks, I don't pray to God to fix my air conditioner. I call Bill and Mary Cobb. When my car breaks down, I don't pray to God that He would fix my car. I either call Scott and Tammy Green at Christian Brothers Automotive or I, or I call Andrew Black. That's what I do, right? When I'm struggling, I call a friend, right? I pay a counselor. I, and rarely do I find myself first talking to Jesus about my problem. I saw my, that's what we're conditioned to do. We have every resource. If you, if you, if you can think of anything right now, you can Google it and know about it. Like I, I, like I can fix a car by watching YouTube. Isn't that awesome? This week, if I would have had a camera on me, I changed my wife's oil in her traverse. If I would have had a camera on me this week, two things would have happened. One, I would have won $25,000 from America's Funniest Home Videos. And two, I probably would have lost my job because my language got a little too wild, right? <laughs> so I got underneath the car and I pulled the oil plug out to do this and I'm like, that doesn't look like oil. Well, no, it's the transmission fluid. I drained the transmission fluid. <laughs> now, so my oil catch pan transmission transmission Mark Henning is laughing because I should have just went to you, Mark, because you're usually the one that helps me with this stuff, right? Um, so my the the oil catch can is actually now become the oil, the, tra- the whatever you call it, transmission fluid catch can, but I think it's the oil. So of course I take off the oil filter and all the oil comes out of that right on my driveway because it's in the wrong spot. My catch can's over here instead of right here, and so I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, right? So I put the plug back in. And I move the thing over now to do the oil too, and I pull the oil plug out, and it like shoots straight past the can onto the driveway. So I have to move it. I've got oil everywhere. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like I could have just paid somebody to do this. Here I'm trying to be a man, you know, <laughs> and um, and uh, and my wife could care less, right? And so uh, and then I'm putting the plug back in. You know, I'm all done. And if I don't drop the wrench right into the oil, I'm like, I just quit. You know, I'm just done, right? And so Jen had to go out and finish the job. I'm kidding. I just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, where was I? We, 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 we are just problem solvers, right? We, we just kind of jump into things. Notice what uh, Jesus says here in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation has yet to happen, but Jesus wrote seven letters. He wrote seven letters to seven specific churches. But these letters are also viewed as ages of the church. And so the seventh letter would be written to the seventh age, which I believe is the age that we're in. Okay, and so look what Jesus says about us as a church globally. Because you say, I am rich and have acquired great wealth and need nothing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Take my advice and buy gold from me, refined by fire, so you can become rich. Buy from me white clothing, so you can be clothed, and your shameful nakedness will not be exposed. And buy eye salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. All those I love, I rebuke in discipline. So he's not like saying, you're horrible, He's like, wake up, wake up. You, you, you're not problem solvers. You don't realize what a mess that you're in. So be earnest and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into his home and share a meal with him and he with me. I want to share this little thought with you I journaled this week. I am grateful that Jesus desires relationships so much that he uses problems that require me to be in communication with him. Let me say that again. It's on the screen, right? I am grateful that Jesus desires relationships so much that He uses problems that require me to be in communication with Him. Sometimes it takes more than your car battery not charging for you to talk to Jesus. Sometimes the Lord has to do things in your life where you're faced with a problem and your only solution is, oh my gosh, i got to talk to God about this. And when you say, I can't, you're in the prime place to start talking to Jesus because He can Observation number five as we continue on in this, Jesus asked the question, right? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Guys identify a problem, right? Um, Jesus says, You feed them. With what? Right? I can't do this, right? I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. And then he says, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. How many loaves? And this is just Jesus using my three favorite letters in the alphabet, F-I-O. You know what F-I-O stands for? Yeah, Yeah, you guys listen. That's awesome. Figure it out. This is Jesus saying, hey, figure it out. Like, what do you got? Because you bring your problem to Jesus, and then Jesus asks you to do something irrational. And you're like, I can't do it, Lord. There's no way. Look at my budget. Look at this marriage. Look at this relationship. Look at my job. And he's like, what do you got? What resources do you have? What networks are, are around you? What friendships are around you? Who's praying with you? Who's praying for you? What's going on? What do you got? Like, bring to me what you have. And so the disciples, you know, he asked that question. And I think they're still being a little, uh, being a little silly. Hey, we got this kid here and we got uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Wow. That's so much for all these, right? They're not being serious. But what does Jesus say? says, bring it to me. Observation number six is this. What you have rarely seems like enough. This is a dust statement, but here's the deal. If what you had was enough, you wouldn't have a problem. And Jesus is going to ask you to solve a problem that you don't think you can solve with stuff that you don't have, and that's what you're going to talk to him about. And this is over and over and over again. You have a problem with limited resources that you can't solve, and Jesus always says the same thing. Figure it out. What do you got? But he doesn't stop there. The story doesn't end with him saying, what do you have, does it? Jesus does something. Observation number seven. We're going to read Mark 6.41 first. So he took the five loaves. Now, does that mean that Jesus ripped them out of the guy's hands? What's that mean when he says he took the loaves? And well, what do you think? Yeah, they gave them, right? Hey, Jesus, we have five loaves and two fish. Here. And the scripture says he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Somebody asked on a connect card, one of these last week. Why do we pray with our eyes closed? It's simply tradition. Jesus' ears don't open when our eyes close. I mean, you just need to know that. I ask people to close their eyes and bow their head when we pray, just so you're not looking around, because sometimes there's a response and somebody really needs a prayer for something, but if they think people are looking at them, they don't raise their hand. And so it's just kind of crowd control, but it's not spiritually necessary at all. So, like, I'm going to pray today without closing my eyes, and Jesus can totally still hear me. And the way I know this is true is do you pray on your way to work? Do you keep your eyes open? I hope so, right? Come on. It's not more spiritual is what I'm getting at. It's just a tradition. We've, you've been taught from like a little kid at the table. Bow your hand, close your eyes. She was looking. Well, how do you know you were looking too? See, I caught you both. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to serve the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. Okay, you ready for this? One of my favorite biblical principles. Notice what Jesus does here. Jesus takes, Jesus blesses, Jesus breaks, Jesus gives. He's going to feed 4,000 people in a couple chapters later, and he'll take the same offering, and he'll take it, and he'll bless it, he'll break it, and then he gives it away. If you go to the Lord's Supper and you read there, what does God do? He takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread away. He followed the resurrection to Jesus on his Emmaus walk, where two guys are walking with him and they don't know it's Jesus, and they get to a place and they invite him to stay, and he does, and they still don't know it's him. And at the table, he takes the bread, and he blesses the bread, and he breaks it, and then he gives, and their eyes are open like, wow, this is Jesus. Jesus has this rhythm of taking, blessing, breaking, and giving. See, Jesus never gives anything away that hasn't been broken. And here's the, the kind of the turn that I'm going to make on you this morning is you are God's greatest resource, not what you have. Like you have a problem in your life, give it to the Lord. Like, God, here's my problem, and he's going to put it back on you and say, you feed him. Okay, well, here's what I've got. We'll just give it to him. And let him take it. Let him bless it. Let him break it. And let him, like, let him, like, he's not gonna, he is not gonna take your stuff from you. He's not gonna make you give. He's not gonna make you learn how to communicate better. He's He's not gonna make you do anything. But he will take what you give him and he will go to work on those things in your life. And that's important for some of you to know. But the more important thing for you to know is that you are God's greatest resource, not the stuff you have. And what that means is that God is going to take you and God is going to bless your life. And then God is going to break you, and then he's going to give your life away in ministry. Think about Joseph. Story in the book of Genesis. God takes Joseph out of the pit. He blesses him in the house of Potiphar, breaks him in prison, and then gives him the presidency of Egypt. What about Moses? God takes Moses out of the Nile, blesses him in the house of Pharaoh, breaks him 40 years separation, and then gives him the presidency of the Israelites. But Jesus, God takes Jesus from the Virgin Mary, blesses him with 33 years of amazing ministry, breaks him on the cross, and then gives him the resurrection and all authority and all power. Like Jesus is our broken bread that has been given to the world. And what has been done throughout the scriptures is gonna be done in your life. And some of you who are older, you can go, oh my gosh, that's my life. God took me. He blessed me, and in my blessing, I kind of get a little cocky. Hey, look how good I am, right? And so God breaks us at times to get us where he can use us, and then he gives us away. God never gives unbroken bread. You are God's greatest resource. Some of you are coming out of the broken stage. Like you thought it was something else. You thought it was this dry period where you just couldn't hear from the Lord. You thought it was a time of bad. No, God was taking you to a place where you could hear from him, and you could lean on him. He takes you, he blesses, he breaks you and He gives. God never gives unbroken bread. And you are God's greatest resource. Several years ago, God had to do this in my life. And He, he, he breaks us. And that's where you are not so much interested in the teachings of Jesus, but the person of Jesus. You are Bread. And so, like, you go through life and you see things, you read things, you hear things, and you're like, this world is so jacked up, my family's so jacked up, my work is so jacked up, and you just kind of have complaints about your life and about your problem, and you're like, man, I wish somebody... No, you feed them. Well, God, what am I supposed to do? Well, it starts with this. Can I have you? Like, God's not going to take your life. He's not going to make you follow him. He's not going to do anything like that. But if you say, hey, Lord, maybe today this is what some of you will pray. Some of you will say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. And that's going to scare the snot out of some of you, just about to say that. But, Lord, here I am. I am am yours. And, And God is responsible with that offering. You, his greatest resource. And he takes that. And he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives. Notice observation number eight. The problem was solved with extra blessing left over. The reason some of you, I think, are so hesitant to give your life to Jesus is you think that he's out to destroy your life. Well, then quit singing, he's a good, good father. Just be quiet during that song. Or change the words, you're a bad, bad father. It's who you are. Right? Or do you think his fathering is conditional upon your behavior? that he's a good father when you're good and he's a bad father when you're bad. Come on, you ain't that important. He is a good, good father. He is a good, good father. You're his your, your behavior doesn't make God bad father. Your bad behavior reflects God's even more good fathering. Is that a word? Fathering because he says, look, I'm still calling you. You're still my best resource. But he wants to take your life. But you got to give it to him. It's got to be an offering. Lord, here's my life. Here's my life. And he gets to use you. This morning, when I'm sitting having my cup of coffee at Starbucks, and a guy says, hey, man, it's a really cool Jeep. I could have said, yeah, man, thanks. And gone back to rereading my notes, preparing for you guys today. But you know what I know? Is that I'm God's resource. And I ask a question. I always ask a question. You got a Jeep? I don't always ask that question. I always ask a question. This morning, it was, hey, you got a Jeep? And he said yes. If he said no, I would have answered as something else until the conversation ends, right? But from that series of questions, I learned about his sister Mary, who has terminal cancer, who's about to die. Here's what we gotta know. If you're visiting New City, if you've been coming to New City, you forget this. Here's the deal. We are problem solvers. We are the solution. Because once God uses me, it's not like I'm done. Notice this. The problem was solved with extra blessing left over. Matt Miller is not bummed today because I had to do ministry this morning. Matt Miller is not wore out because God had to give me a way to encourage some guy I've never met in my life this morning. I'm, I'm good. And so are you. Like, you're the solution to somebody's problem. And we got to get out of our Christian mindset that, no, God, why don't you? No, God says, why don't you? What do you got? Give it to me. Let me go to work in your life. Like, okay, some of you may disagree with what I'm going to say. That's okay. I don't care. I do care, but I don't. If you say this, if you say, well, God, God, you just can't use me. Guess what? You're absolutely right. God, you can't use me because, here's the deal, you are absolutely right. When you tell God that he can't, okay. But if you say, God, I don't know how in the world you're going to do this, but here I am. God, I don't know how in the world you're going to do it, but here's my situation. God, here it is. You know what he does? Every time. But if your first line of prayer is, God, you can't, God, you won't, God, you never could, then guess what? You're 100% right. Just quit talking. You're fine. So watch your vocabulary and say, Lord, I don't know how. I'm scared to death. My little was not much. But here you go. That's what this church does. Why are we doing four services on Sunday now? It's because I noticed a problem seven months ago. That problem is you guys like making babies. Yeah, nobody in this church owns a TV, apparently, right? <laughs> and so, like, we have empty chairs in this room, but if you were to poke your head through that wall last week, that those rooms would have been full of, of volunteers and babies with no more walls to knock down. And so my, my prayer to God, I've talked to Jesus about it all the time, but I also tried to solve it. God, give us a bigger space. Man, I, Lord, just please, please, please. And finally, the Lord says, what do you got? Like, I'm like Matt, you can trust me. I'm, I've got this. But until then, what do you got? Well, We've got energy, we've got great volunteers, and we do have this space 24-7. Okay, F-I-O, bro. Figure it out. But I don't want to do a third service. Okay. Tell people no. Tell people to go somewhere else. Tell people to quit having babies. I don't know what you want to tell them, but no. What do you got? Well, Lord, I have five loaves and two fishes. Then give it to me. So if you've been to this City a while and you say, man, there seems to be a lot of empty chairs. There are for a while. But I know that the Lord is continuing to do something. You know why? Because we're problem solvers. Like, are there fancier churches in town? Yeah. Fancier churches that love Jesus too. We're not fancy. Right? But I'll tell you what we are. As much as we can, we're going to love the Lord with everything we got. We're not going to worship any kind of idol. No, no, no. Jesus is our Lord. We're going to follow the Spirit's promptings and His leadings in this place. And we're going to do our best to love you and to lead you to the person of Jesus. Unashamedly. I'm just going to do that. And um, the Lord adds to their number daily. This morning, I want to end with a prayer. You can keep your eyes open where give your life as an offering. Father, may we as a church body be a people who you don't have to take anything from us. We give it to you. God, as the lead pastor, I want to set the pace and say, this ministry is yours. This church is yours. We are sheep with a leader And Father, for those in the room who are observing, God, may they see our love for you. May they see our unity and our care for one another. And may that inspire them to be encouraged by this body. Father, I pray for those who are considering giving you their life. God, would you give them the courage to do that? We trust you, Jesus, in everything. God, for those of us who are struggling in our belief, I'm reminded of the saying by the father whose child was sick, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. God, continue to increase our faith in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.